0: This episode of Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by nightchannels.com, the only place on the internet to get that darker side for your t-shirts and hoodies. These are amazing, unique t-shirts and hoodie designs for a cult, music, literature, and films. Of course, they got loads of amazing horror t-shirts. There's this Texas Chainsaw one that you gotta have. They got Alien, but they also got these deep cuts like Begotten. You know Begotten, right? Because you're a hardcore fan like I am. Or Guinea Pig. It's like that across the entire site for their music, for the anime, for other kind of media categories. Such cool designs that you're not going to find anywhere else. Go on there. There's no way you're not going to get a t-shirt or hoodie. I guarantee you. Tons of color options. The t-shirts have two fabric options. Classic 90s Style, which is Gildan or that great modern combed cotton Bella option. And the best part about all this, these are one of a kind designs and all of it has really great competitive prices. In fact, if you go there right now and you enter the code rewind at checkout, you get 13% off. That's right. 13% off at checkout. If you let them know that rewind of the living dead sent you. Uh, so when you're at the next convention or concert and someone asks, where'd you get that shirt? The only answer is at nightchannels.com. And be sure to visit them on Instagram at nightchannels as well. Um, That's N-I-G-H-T channels.com. And be sure at checkout to enter the code Rewind to get your 13% off. Rewind the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead.
1: After attending the American Film Institute and receiving critical acclaim for a pair of short films he wrote and directed, Ari Aster was suddenly getting opportunities in Hollywood, but after several feature-length scripts got rejected, he decided to turn his attention back to horror, a genre he loved growing up but fundamentally avoided with his writing, despite constantly focusing on bleak and dreary material. What started as a film centered around a family tragedy and the trauma involved with the aftermath of a sudden death eventually transformed into what Aster called a full-bore nightmare. The film eventually landed at A24, a studio famous for backing projects that don't fit into any easily described category. The finished product delivered exactly what Astra promised as a family spirals into a pit of despair, and they're soon visited by a malevolent force with the cruelest intentions in mind.
2: My name's Annie. My mom died a week ago. She was a very private woman, and she wasn't altogether there at the end. Who's gonna take care of me? You don't think I'm gonna take care of you? When you die. Sorry, I recognize you from your mother. How was your relationship with your daughter? What? Peter?
0: Charlie? Are you okay?
2: Charlie. please stop. Charlie! Charlie! Charlie. Yeah. Please stop. Mom?
1: In the latest episode of Rewind of the Living Dead, we're going to stick our heads out the window and swerve to miss the roadkill as we review the 2018 film Hereditary. living dead i'm damon martin and i'm patrick era <laughs> you had to pull off a click didn't you got
0: to damon we're talking about a kind of a special movie i think especially after you played that trailer uh hereditary not your average horror movie and i remember when it came out it made quite the splash
1: there are certain horror films over the last, you know, 20 years and I I mean of course it goes beyond that but I say 20 years as in like our adult lives, you know, cuz yeah. again I I wasn't a, I wasn't alive or around when films like Jaws or The Shining actually hit theaters and they were had, you know, or Rosemary's Baby, films like that that just had a right. huge cultural impact. But this one did. And I remember when it came out, I I had heard about it and I was into horror films, but I was actually traveling at the time it came out. I was in Austin, Texas or no, I was in Chicago. Excuse me. I was in Chicago um, for work and I stayed. I think I actually mentioned I may have mentioned this either off air or on air one time. It's one of the only times I've ever stayed at an Airbnb and I was at an Airbnb and it was it was the most uncomfortable situation I've probably ever been in That's because right. essentially I was staying in. A part of the house was like upstairs and like it was the whole second floor was mine. So it was a room and a bathroom and like, you know, everything was mine. But then there was like a third story where the actual people lived and slept. And then there was the downstairs with the kitchen. It was just, it was so weird to me to like get up and just walk around their house. Like it was, I I, I was so uncomfortable. So on like Friday night, after I got done with work, instead of just hanging out at their house, doing nothing, I was like, I got to get out of here. So I went to the movies and got some deep dish pizza in Chicago, and I went and saw *Hereditary*. And uh, I remember hearing about this film, and I remember you know hearing some reviews. I think I don't know if I saw it opening weekend. It may have been the second weekend it was out, but I remember hearing yeah, I so much bu- buzz about it. And I sat down, and it was a totally unexpected experience. But it was one of those films that kind of kind of like *Scream* and kind of like. You know, again, some of these like films that just transcend where everybody's talking about it. Everyone's buzzing about it. There was a lot to be a buzz about. Um, and I think I'm in the
0: same boat. I don't think I saw it the first week it came out. Um, I remember what actually drew me to it was uh, the buzz about Tony Collette's performance. Um, I remember the trailer and going like, man, this looks like really intense. Like the the trailer kind of had me and I was like, I will go see that at some point. But for whatever reason, I didn't immediately run out and go see it opening weekend. But I kept hearing about Tony Collette. They're like, Tony Collette's incredible in this movie. It's an incredible movie for Tony Collette. She should get the Oscar for it. And then I listened to um, a buddy of mine, actually Josh Horowitz, who has the Happy Sad Confused podcast. Shout out to Josh Horowitz and company. Um, he had an interview with Tony Collette because he interviews all the all the major stars. And they were talking about it. And I just said, you know what? Like, I gotta I gotta see what this is all about. And it was like super late one night. It was like the final showing of the night, like ten thirty or something at night. I went out and saw this and you know me i like to go in as cold as i can and and i and and i want to credit ari aster right here and now because i'm sure we're going to have a lot to say about ari aster the trailer that you played is purposefully deceptive and i love that you know how i feel about trailers i don't they give away too much but there were times plenty of times throughout film history where film trailers they deceive you on purpose because they don't want to reveal something. That trailer m- leads you to believe that this movie is about a woman dealing with the death of her grand or her mom. What well, kind of is? But it's about way more than that. And the death that is portrayed in the trailer is not the death that sends Tony Collette's character Annie spiraling. It's the death of her daughter. You know, we're not doing spoilers. This is an old movie now, five years old. <laughs> And I know every one of our hardcore fans has seen it, but the trailer was super deceptive. And I loved that because when I got in there, I was surprised from, from the get go. And uh, there was this like overarching feeling of being unsafe because I now thought I came in knowing what the, what the trailer was telling me. The trailer was not telling me those things. The trailer was act, like, I could hear it even now when you played it. They purposely manipulated words and changed things that characters said to make it appear one way when in the movie it's completely the other. So I had this like air about it while I'm watching it going, well, everything I thought I knew about this movie is totally wrong. And so around every corner in this film, it it was creepier and kind of I, I would I guess I would say scarier because there's the un, the factor of the unknown. I didn't know what was going to happen next, and I came out of there kind of shocked. But I had truth be told, and I know where you're going to get into this right now, Damon. I had mixed feelings about Hereditary initially. What about you, what, what, Damon Martin? Was in Chicago. He was as uncomfortable as an <laughs> Ari Aster short film in that Airbnb, and he's like, I, I got to go see this movie. You saw a movie with probably a very little preparation. What what did you feel when you when you finally
1: saw it? Uh, first, let me give a shout out. We did actually have this film is being reviewed because it was a suggestion on Twitter. We say at the end of every podcast, if there's movies you'd like That's us right. to review, suggestions, please let us know. We, we're, we love suggestions. We'd love to take your suggestions. And somebody on Twitter, after our Best of 2022 episode, actually said, what about Hereditary? Have you guys done that one? Could you guys do that one? So shout out to Twitter for that one. And uh, if right. you do have a suggestion, again, please let us know. Um, Two... You know, I have a love-hate relationship with A24. It's well documented. Yes. yes. Um, I do love some A24, The Witch, Robert Eggers' film. Love that film. Brilliant film. Terrifying. Great. One of the best horror films of the past decade, I would argue. Um, other A24 films, not so much. So- I don't have a vivid memory of this trailer, although rewatching it, I watched a couple different ones getting ready for the podcast, trying to find a good one, a shorter one to play for our intro. And I feel like I do remember the trailers, but where you were like, I'm glad they didn't give too much away and it was very vague as far as what the movie was. I watched it thinking, what the fuck is this? I don't understand <laughs> what I'm watching. Like I didn't there was no co- there was no cohesive story in the trailer and while I fully agree with you on the whole trailer's give away too much because as much as I love and adore Marvel films and I'm a big Marvel fan, I swear to God, like nine times out of 10, when I go see a Marvel film, I feel like I already know 90% of the movie because they just uh, yeah, put too me much- tell me that of- Ant-Man trailer that just came out doesn't feel like it gives away the whole fucking movie. I love, I'm excited for that movie, but I feel, like it. Already, I feel like I've already seen it. Um, <laughs> so there is a balancing act, you know what I mean? Like you can you can tell me a little bit without giving everything away, right? Um the I do kind of remember the Hereditary trailer and thinking I don't I don't know what this is. But then the word of mouth started, and the other films I was talking about, I mentioned Scream, also another one, Paranormal Activity. When that one came out, the yeah, whole the world was buzzing, right? Like the whole world was buzzing, and it was it, last year it was Terrifier too. There's those kind of transcendent horror films that you just find out about through word of mouth. You may not know what you're going into. You may not know much about it, but through word of mouth and just buzz online or social media, whatever it is, you start hearing about it and you want to see it. And that's what hereditary was for me. I didn't know what I was. I didn't necessarily know what I was stepping into. I do remember being in the theater and at the beginning through about the first half hour until we get to, of course the car scene where, uh, Charlie, again, we're five years past. This is not, we're not doing spoilers. Um, Five, we are doing spoilers, I should say. So if you're yeah, it's, it's it, yeah, full yeah. spoiler episode, yeah. um, when Charlie's head gets lopped off was the first moment where I was like, "Oh Jesus, what just happened?" Yeah. Like it really threw me because there's some creepy moments and there's some kind of unsettling moments, like when Charlie cuts the head off of a bird and things like that. But her head going off in the car was like jolting, and from that moment on my uh, horror instincts were were raised. I was like, every around every corner, I was looking like, what's happening? What's going on? And mm-hmm. I appreciated the movie for that because for the first half hour, very much what the Ari Aster has teased and talked about in interviews of this film is it was just a film about a family tragedy and the trauma that goes along with that. It wasn't necessarily set up just to be a horror film. He didn't start writing this as a horror film. It wasn't right. written that way. It became that later on. And... When it got to that scene, I was just like eyes wide in the theater, popcorn on the floor. Like what just, what just happened now? Were there some really odd moments and, and weird choices? And, and, and again, very a 24, uh, cinematography and visuals later in the film. Yes. Uh, do I have some issues with those that we'll get into? Of course. But that moment in particular was the one that kind of shook me and I was like, okay, this is totally unexpected, and that moment got me. I didn't see it coming, and I see a lot of stuff coming in horror films. I did not see that coming, and the shock of that moment stuck with t- it. I mean, I think it sticks with everybody for the first time, right? Oh, yeah. And re-watching it recently for the podcast, this time it was an anticipatory dread because I knew it mm-hmm. was coming. When they get to the party and he's like, go have some of that cake, I'm just like, Oh, here it comes. It's coming. Here it comes. We and have to see it. Then at that moment, I'm just like watching with bated breath, just waiting for it to happen. And yeah. it, it worked. That scene is so effective. Mm-hmm.
0: How about, how about like his reaction, the aftermath of the scene where he goes into complete shock, right? And he's sitting there in that, on that dark road and like, like looking in the rear view mirror, great shot, by the way, of just him, his eyes you know, tracking up to the rearview mirror and seeing the headless body and just freaking out and then taking his foot off the brake and putting it on the gas and driving home and just kind of slinking into bed. Like I think, and you're right. Like, Oh, like I agree with everything you said, but on top of all of that, I think what makes this movie so strong, at least in terms of reaction and, and dread and all of that good stuff is that Ari Aster is clearly working on a different frequency Whether it's good or bad is completely up to debate. My point is that he doesn't approach anything the way a typical horror director would approach it, probably because he never intended to make this a horror movie. But if you've seen his short films, and I'm talking specifically about There's Something Wrong with the Johnsons. Have you seen that? I have seen it, yeah. Highly disturbing. Very. Highly, highly disturbing
1: The subject subject matter is disturbing and the the direction of the subject matter, which that one's about. Yeah, go ahead. I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it's it's
0: but it's new. You're exactly right. A, the subject matter is, I mean, borderline taboo, like like full blown, like why would you even make a movie about this idea? And then two, you're right. The direction. He is an odd guy. I don't trust Ari Aster.
2: And I mean, that as a
0: compliment. I don't trust him but he he does two things really well he goes let's get really weird about an idea about specifically about some story element let's talk about the weirdest version of it that we can and let's show it to you in such an unnatural way something about his movies they're beautifully shot i mean they're beautiful movies like especially this movie especially hereditary beautifully beautifully shot but like something about it is just off like something in a good way in a weird way you don't feel like you're in the normal world at all, but everybody in that world is like trapped in it. It's almost like they're trapped in the, very famously in the, in the trailer, you see the doll houses or the model, the model houses that Tony Collette's Annie uh, constructs. So she's an artist. You feel there's something really um, um, uh, uh, artificial almost about these movies. And it's, so it just, it's, it's super unsettling. like just at its bones it's unsettling so you on top of this incredibly brutal subject matter of like uh, a brother accidentally beheading his sister and then just driving home and leaving her dead body in the back of the car while he goes upstairs and does not sleep a wink he just lays in his bed until he hears the screams of his mother
1: which uh, which was Watching it a second time was utterly disturbing because they, yeah. I, I, so that scene is everyone's favorite scene. Ari Aster said, that's his favorite scene. The, 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 the 15 minutes surrounding that scene are his favorite part right. of the movie, um, that seeing in the theater, I didn't remember it as viscerally, but watching it again, recently seeing the beheading, seeing him go home, crawl into bed and then hearing her wake up and you never leave the point of view of Peter. Laying yeah. in bed. You just hear the mom say, Okay, I'm heading out to get some supplies. I gotta get some balsa wood. <sighs> dun, 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 down the stairs, dun, 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 open the door, close the door. <sighs> oh, just blood <laughs> the curdling. Gutter, the guttural scream. And I yeah. just and then Peter like closing his eyes, like the horror of that. I didn't really remember that from the film. I remember the beheading. Everyone remembers the beheading. But I didn't really remember that, but that might actually be my favorite scene in the entire film because it it's is incredible. so it's just It's so well shot and and that again, you're not following the mom down to the car where she finds her beheaded child. Mm -hmm. You just hear it and it's so effective and it's so disturbing. So disturbing. You know what it reminds me of? Like, you know, when you were
0: a kid and you like, you broke something and you'd, you'd kind of hide it off (laughs) to the side and then like, you'd be in the other room and then you'd hear your mom and she go, who broke this? You could hear it in the other room and you go shit. (laughs) like, that, that he kind of captured that kid like, you know, like a perspective. But for a subject matter, it's far worse than like I broke my mom's favorite fucking trinket. Um, no, I broke my mom's daughter's head off completely. And it's laying on the side of the road being devoured by ants right now in the morning sun. Like, fuck, like, whoa, <laughs> dude, yeah. are you OK? No, you're not Ari asked or something's very wrong with you, but you got to admit crazy effective and boy, does it fucking spiral from there. But in, again, it doesn't spiral like into a horror movie. It spirals into like a few different movies. That's kind of where the mixed feeling came in for me. I did like all of what kind of the aftermath of it, which is a family tragedy and how the, how the family itself like kind of splinters off like the, you know, Annie and her husband, um, um, oh shit. What's his name? Uh, play, play, um, Annie and her, her husband uh,
1: Steve, is a Stephen. Steve.
0: Yeah, and it's yeah, by, Gabriel yeah, Byrne who by Gabriel I love Burn. by the way. Gabriel Byrne is great. Gabriel Byrne's great in it, and he plays Steven And and her, he, he and Annie have like this weird distance because of the death. She and Peter obviously have a big distance because of it, and and they're literally avoiding each other everywhere they go. So you you're seeing this family kind of fizzle and break down and rot from the inside because of what had happened to them. It makes total sense. Like it makes sense on a very real world level, even though there's some real fucking weird other world shit also going on, which I remember at the time thinking to myself like this, this like real world shit and this really weird supernatural shit are kind of like muddying each other up. But I do feel different about it now, Damon. What say you?
1: Okay. So two things. Um, I want to ask a question first. And cause I'm curious. Cause again, we talk about this film is kind of like in two halves, the first half or the first point of the movie is this family tragedy the ptsd if you will the, the trauma they deal with in both the aftermath of annie's mother dying and then charlie dying and that's very again there is a version of this movie where it's not a horror film it's just a yeah. family tragedy uh and the trauma dealt with that but then we add in the supernatural elements of the demon and the possession story and things like that can i ask when did you realize that like because we get we eventually get to the séance and stuff where it's pretty obvious what's going on. But at what point did you pick up on the supernatural elements of this film? The first time you saw it, not not now, but like when you first saw it, was it always clear or did it become clear later in the movie? I don't. I can't say that it became clearer
0: as the movie went on, but it was the first time, and I think it's in the uh, in the classroom when um, Peter is in the classroom, and then this weird like white. Kind of like like uh, I don't know how to explain. Just sort of like an energy field like flashes past him, and then it changes him all of a sudden. That was the first time I noticed in the theater. It actually happens earlier. I noticed that in my in this recent viewing. It happens earlier with Charlie, where she that happens to her, and then she kind of tr- just in a trance like state walks up into the um the the treehouse, and and then I realized oh there are actually these large footprints in the mud that she's following. And like, I only picked that up on this viewing, but, but anyway, this, this white, that, that sort of white, weird energy wave that hit him. I was like, now that's definitely not a mistake that was intentionally put in there. That is weird. And it made him change in that moment. He kind of changed a little bit. So I was like, what are we dealing with? That was the first kind of sniff I had that something was not normal.
1: So I had an idea something weird was going on pretty much from right after Charlie's death, if I remember correctly, but I still wasn't totally sure. And I think it was when she runs into Joan and she's like talking about the seance that I knew something was really weird going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the end of the film, when we're talking about the demon King demon of payment and the possession and Charlie and Peter and the weird cult and everything, it didn't confuse me. I got it at that moment. Of course. Like when you see it at the end, it's not like, a film like, let's say men where it ends and you're like, what in the hell? What, what was, it, <laughs> it made sense what they were doing. They were possessing a yeah. human body with the demon King payment, which is actually a real demon uh, or should I say real, a, a, a demon from real theology, not saying I actually believe in payment. <laughs> um, so I got it all there, but there was still so much, there was a lot of confusion in that moment where I was yeah, like, it felt what? muddy. Now rewatching it. It's weird to say this. The film was far less scary the second time around. I didn't really get scared a lot. There was a couple moments that still worked. Again, the beheading didn't work, but again, there was that anticipatory dread because I knew it was coming, and so that still, totally. count, that still counts as fear to me. Um, and the scene, I'm not ruining our best scary moments, but there's a couple things later in the movie that were pretty scary. But the film lost that a lot in the second viewing. Now, it's not to say it's not a good scary movie. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like it lost a lot of that. But do you remember the first time you saw Fight Club, and you remember at the end when it was revealed that Tyler Durden—I'm sorry, yeah. spoilers for people who haven't seen Fight Club for what? twenty years ago—when um, it's finally revealed that Tyler Durden is is uh, is uh, why am I forgetting his name? Edward Norton. Edward Norton is yeah. all, has always is two. He's been basically split personality. He's always been Tyler Durden. He's always been the narrator, as they call him in the movie. Um, and you realize in that moment when they're the same, and you're like, oh. They were never two people. This was always one guy. And you remember that kind of right. like aha moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of little things peppered throughout the first 45 minutes to an hour of hereditary that I 100% admit I didn't catch on the first viewing. The 100%. symbol, the demon symbol, the pillow, the, the 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 foot mat didn't catch me at first when she said my mother made these, like it didn't even click in my head. Like, Oh, she knew her mother. Like, again, I know it sounds stupid. I didn't pick up on that, but mm-hmm. if on the second viewing, it's like, Oh, she knew her mother. There was a connection. Of course we saw it later in the film. That's when I got it in the theater. When she opened the book and you saw the, when she opened up the boxes and you see the, 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 the foot, the, what do you call it? The, uh, the welcome mats. Yeah. And then you see the then, then I put two and two together, but in this time viewing, I figured it out right away. Um, I enjoyed it more on the second viewing as a story, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, because I saw all the little indications that there was something nefarious happening to this family from the mother, from Charlie. It all started to come together in a much more cohesive way. So this is kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a compliment and a complaint. It's a compliment that, Seeing it on a second time actually made me like it a little bit more mm-hmm. because I understood more of it. But at the same time, it kind of made me angry because when I left the theater the first time, I liked it, but it still left me with that kind of like, I'm not totally sure what happened. I'm not totally sure where these things were going. I'm not totally sold on these moments. And that kind of, that I don't know, that kind of left me hollow in a way. So it's a weird experience. One thing I want to read real quick, and I it, it, like... <laughs> This is this should have been the tagline for the film. When Ari Aster was out pitching this to studios, he said one of the ways he pitched this story to executives. And this, to me, is the film. And it's brilliant. I wish I could write. I wish I was as good as this when he says this. He said, it's a story about a long-lived possession ritual told from the perspective of the sacrificial lamb. Fantastic. That. It encapsulates the entire film so beautifully. It's you are, the, you are the virgin being sacrificed, you know, to the gods, yet the entire film centers around the virgin who doesn't know she's the virgin no who's going to be sacrificed. That little phrase, when I read that, I was like, boom. Makes yeah. perfect sense.
0: Yeah, he's a super sharp guy. I've, I've actually listened to a couple. I actually listened to a great podcast with him And David Eggers, like they were interviewing each other. I want to say it was the DGA podcast. The Directors Guild has their own podcast. And I want to say it was the two of them interviewing each other, uh, talking about really sharp guy, really strange guy, as you can tell by the films that he makes. Um, I 100% agree with you on a lot of that stuff. You can only watch Hereditary once and get that experience. On the second viewing, you get a completely new experience, a completely different one. Whether that's intentional on Ari Aster's part or not, I, I'm not sure, but I also knowing how odd and how meticulous and really strange he is, I'm almost sure that was his intention is the first time you watch this, it's going to be a horror movie. The second time you watch this, it's going to be a um, kind of a, a who done it, you know mystery. and you're gonna see all the puzzle pieces and see how they all come together. Some people might be frustrated by that idea because they go, look, do like make the movie make sense the first time around. Because I remember talking about it with a couple of my buddies and going, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I feel weird about that movie. Like it was freaky as fuck, but I'm kind you know, I'm kind of confused about, you know, the, all the different things. Well, on the second viewing, it is a whole different movie. Nope. It is not as scary as it was the first time around. There's the anticipatory dread. There's the uncomfortable angles and discussions and, 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 and tricks that he uses that, that are really effective, but it's not scary anymore. Now I'm seeing just, I'm seeing the plot of this group of people, these, these, uh, these, uh, these harbingers of, de- of payment. And I realized something on this viewing that like kind of blew my mind. I, I think this might be the first movie I can think about where the villain is long dead. And their plans are coming to fruition before your eyes. The villain is Ellen, the mother of Annie. We, we, we attend her funeral at the top of the movie. That's the first thing we do is we, we see that she's completely gone and dead. But she has laid this entire plan out to bring Payman back. She's the head of this cult. that, that, that is the, the cult of Payman, whatever they're called. I can't remember the exact name. I'm watching her plan unfold against her victims without her ever being in the movie without her ever being a part of the movie. There's one moment and it freaked me the fuck out. The first time I saw it where Annie looks into the shadows and she thinks she sees her mom standing in the dark. Yeah. Great imagery, incredible, like brought me back to being a kid sitting in the dark, thinking I can see something in the corner. Like the, the, the way that was constructed was to perfection. Really? Like Ari Aster really knows how to craft those moments. But that's probably the only little hint that you got of it. It happened so early in the movie, you just assume that Annie's like, you know, kind of freaking out because her mom died. But you get all these little hints. She goes to the support group and she talks about how she basically hated her mom. Even at the wake, she's talking about how her mom was a distant and quiet person. And it seemed like she was so private to the point that no one could really even get closer. And she was clearly making Annie miserable. And then it, it starts to unfold more and more and more. And I thought to myself, I don't think I've ever seen a movie like this. Damon, have you ever seen a movie where the villain is not in the movie?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And now that you say that, it's true because, yeah, the villain is not in this movie. And it's just the plans of the villain are unraveling throughout the movie. And one thing, again, I I say this on the show all the time. And I know that, you know, to bring it back to kind of our you know our parts in this podcast patrick you know typically we've talked about in the past that you are a much bigger fan of the art film so to speak and Definitely. i'm you know more fan of the straightforward kind of horror film however you want to say it. now i not getting too far out the subject I we've had this discussion off air about how i have a weird passion love for david lynch films and hmm. he might be weirder than any of the art films you enjoy but yet somehow i enjoy By david far. lynch um <laughs> That being said, I, I've talked about it many times in this podcast and you've talked about it as well. Sometimes when I, you know, we talk, I keep bringing up men because it's an A24 film, but one of my biggest complaints is when I have to have the the film explained to me afterwards when it doesn't make enough sense in the in mm-hmm. the moment. Now, to be fair, when Hereditary was over, even on the first viewing, I got it. I understood yeah. it. I was, I didn't need it explained to me. But the second viewing made such a difference in terms Mm -hmm. of totally understanding the characters, understanding the villain, you know, the mother, understanding how she had set this up. And then again, understanding and having it confirmed to me by an interview with Ari Aster that this family was doomed from the start. There was no escaping this. There was no the mother is going to burn the journal and sacrifice herself to save her son. That's her attempt to turn everything around in that moment. She's like, "You got to burn this journal. It's going to catch me on fire. I'm going to die, but it's going to save Peter." Little does she know that that gesture means nothing. Your yeah. try it, it's 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 the moment of realization in that in that scene where her husband catches fire, she has that guttural scream that's very famous from the film and you realize there's no escaping this it's like being on the titanic you know what i mean and you're out Mm -hmm. of lifeboats like and damn you woman for not sharing the door with jack uh (laughs) you're not escaping this like it's this it's the moment of realization that sets in that you're doing everything you're running you're running you're 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 getting through doors you're doing this and there's a i brought up this film again many times um one of my favorite twists in a a horror film is saw 2 where you go through the whole film, this this cop is trying to find and rescue his son. He's desperate to save his son, and then the big twist at the end. Sorry if you haven't seen Scrawl, Saw Two like th- twenty years ago. Um, the big realization <laughs> at the end is he had this he had this box, this like uh, like uh, what do you call it, like a, uh, a, a, a you know like a big um, what am I, a trunk, a trunk box, you know, like yeah. a trunk, and he had this thing there the entire time, not realizing that his son was actually inside. And he was going to this house to rescue him, he gets trapped and dies in the end. And he didn't know this entire time. He could have just, his son was right there. He could have rescued him. He didn't know that. Good twist. Kind of I'm I'm explaining it kind of poorly, because again, um, people, if you go see it or haven't seen it, it is a kind of a cool movie. Um, but it's the realization that there's no escape, right? And that was I didn't pick up on that necessarily the first time. Yeah. Same. The second viewing, I'm like. From the very start – now, again, I know the ending, but from the very start, I'm like, oh, this family's fucked. Like, they're mm-hmm. not getting out of this. They're not – there's no escape. There's no, you know, magical spell they're going to cast to get rid of the demon. The mother, the villain, as you said, has set this all on course And it's like you're driving 80 off the, off the, in the, into the Grand Canyon. Like, yeah, you might be able to slow down to 60, but you're still going over the freaking edge. (laughs) And that's, that's something I didn't pick up on in the first film. Like, the doom happens, but I didn't realize until the second viewing that they were always doomed. They were never going to get out of this. And again, that's where I say the first time I liked it, it was scary. The second time it was less scary. I understood it better. And I do have that mixed feeling of like, oh, okay, I get it now, but I'm also kind of angry that it took me two times seeing it to like, oh, now I totally understand. And again, there's a million films I've seen where little nuances and little things I may have missed or a line. I'm not saying that. There's been a million things that I've missed in a film, picked up on a second viewing. That's not what I'm saying because that happens all the time. I'm talking about a major part of the plot just kind of confused me in the first one. And then the second one, I'm like, oh, now I get it but it's a brilliant trick because the first time around the movie's just
0: a scary movie a weird one a strange one and one like i hadn't seen before but it was scary so i, I remember sitting there going man this movie's freaking me out cuz it's weird it's really strange and every little moment that was happening i was like so what's going to happen next so the, i got i got that movie first the second movie was a completely different movie cuz it wasn't scary cuz i knew everything that was coming but I, I, was getting a whole different, and you and I both love kind of like, uh, mystery, almost mystery unraveling movies, which is kind of what this is. Tell me about this. We, you and I both have a, a deep love for Anne Dowd, who plays. Um, um, here I go again. Joan, Joanie, Joan, Joan. Yes, uh, we love Anne Dowd. She's a great actor. Um, when she, when she steps into the picture on your second viewing, you already know what her plan is. Yeah. So her character and that's been that kind of that B storyline was so much more sinister the second time around Oh yeah, because I was watching her groom Annie like she knew exactly how to talk to her the very first time they meet she kind of flags her down because she's decided she's not going to go to the the uh the uh grieving support group she flags her down to stop her and she sits there and talks with her and and I, I learned this from a female writer this is an incredibly important writing tool is that men typically bond in, in films through either show of force or some some sort of like challenge to each other. You know, that's typically how, how mis- mysterious men bond and become close by, by kind of a challenge. In this, in, in, in female interactions, they share a secret with each other. That's how women bond. So Joan confides in Annie that she also lost her child and her grandchild. And you go, that's fucking sinister. Cause she's doing that on purpose to kind of stop Annie in her tracks and get her into her web. And then you, and every little interaction from that point on is her sort of guiding Annie in a specific direction. She had a job. She was clearly like a Lieutenant under Ellen. When Ellen was alive, she was somebody that worked very closely with her and, and was, and was working to enact what Ellen needed to be done to bring a, bring about the coming of payment. So I'm watching every little interaction between Annie and Joan going, she's fucking roping her in. And, and it's like, it's, it gets easier and easier even as Annie tries to kind of challenge her. There's that great scene in the parking lot where every time Annie like turns away, Joan would grab her and pull her back to look at her. She wouldn't let her like take eye contact off of her. It was a first of all masterclass in just acting. I don't, maybe the maybe the maybe it's Anne Dowd and, and Tony Collette like working that out, or maybe it was designed by Ari Aster. I'm not sure, but even just that interaction, I'm watching them. I'm going, "Fuck, man, this is this is this is devious," and it gives you a whole other feeling about the movie. So I got two movies out of it, and to me, that was like, I I could and I, I understand the idea of like, hey, man. Like, I'm kind of frustrated with this movie because it should have made that clear the first time around. Well, okay, it didn't, but it was scary the first time around, right? Yeah, it was weird the first time around, right? Yeah, well, now this time you're getting a whole other experience. And that Ah. experience is, like you said, actually kind of more enjoyable. I actually like the movie in a different and better way now on my second, second, like, hardcore viewing, because I've kind of seen pieces of it over the years. But yeah, I'm like... Man, you know, this is this movie's actually better than I thought it was.
1: Yeah. And that's that's kind of my point. Like, that's why I said it kind of makes me happier and more a little angry because like I kind of <laughs> w- I kind of wish I had had both both experiences the first time because it was legitimately scary. And I think I would have walked out saying Hereditary may have been one of the best films of that year if yes. I totally understood the story. Watching it the second time, I wasn't scared, but I enjoyed it more. I yep. actually like Hereditary more now. Mm-hmm. than I did back in 2018. You know what I mean? Like, I actually like the film more now. Um, yeah. But that also, like I said, that's... I'm not angry, but, like, I'm, I'm kind of like, man, I wish I had totally understood it back then because that would have been, like, I may put it in that same category as The Witch or, you know, films mm-hmm. that I've seen over the last, you know, five, six years that I say, these are the best horror films of the last five, six... You know what I mean? Like, but, you know, we if we were around in 2018 and did our favorite yes. horror films in 2018... Hereditary had I had the second Viewing at the time Would have been top three probably I Don't I can't remember every film came out on 2018 yeah, but yeah, like same it, it would Have been on that list is what I'm Getting at and again I like it better Now but it's also mm-hmm. a little frustrating I'm like man I wish I, I wish it had been Made a little clearer In the first viewing, again, it's not a, it's not really, it's not even a complaint, honestly, it's not, it's just like a minor annoyance, like a very minor annoyance, and people could say, why didn't you just go see it twice in 2018, jackass, I understand that, (laughs) but I'm saying like in general, like when I go see a film in a theater, I like to sit with it, I like to kind of stew on it, marinate over it, um, not run back a second time just so I can understand it, I guess is what I'm getting at, you know? So it's also just a very dense movie. It is. It's
0: it, it, like every single frame, every also, single scene is, it's is also, drenched in detail.
1: It's also a very, it's a very um, sad Mm-hmm. depressing movie and yes. i always talk about that. there's a book in a movie called the road by cormac mccarthy Love that uh book. the movie is with vigo mortensen it is the it is the one book i've ever read that was so depressing i had to stop halfway through and like stop and then go back because it was like it was affecting my mood patrick like i was like i was reading the book and like wake up depressed like it was such <laughs> a sad and we've talked about this uh, what w- I it's the only book I burned through in like a day. And I was like, yeah, it I was love this so book. but it was just but you know what I'm telling it was so dour uh, yeah. and so sad. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, hereditary is like that. like it's such a such a dark, just very you know traumatic movie, especially like Death in the family. Yeah. So it wasn't a film that I was like, oh, boy. Let me go watch this girl get her head lopped off again. Yeah, you like rush back to yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it's that, it's a very dark movie in that way. So like I said, like there's that's where I was kind of conflicted. Again, it's a very minor annoyance, but it's just kinda mm-hmm. like it's so like again, like when I got done with when I did get finished with The Road, I was like, This is one of the most brilliant written books, the movie. Yeah. I really enjoy the movie as well. I but it just took me a lot to get through because it is so dark and so sad and so depressing that it's, it affected me. Like I was like, damn. And and hereditary is kind of like, there's no levity in this movie. Like there's no like moment of reprieve, like none, you know what I mean? Like nothing. And so sitting through that, it's not what generally, at least for me, Patrick, I'm not the one who's been like, you know what, let me just go experience that all over again for fun. um so that's again it's a minor thing it's not a big annoyance and and again weirdly i like the film better now um yeah we got we got a lot of categories to get into tonight we got some new ones to throw at you this is kind of a debut for a couple new categories so patrick as we kick off categories for uh hereditary let's kick things off as we always do with best performance um this is a very small film and i always say this When you can raise the bar with the level of talent in your film, when you get Tony Collette, you get Gabriel Byrne, you get Ann Dowd, you've already won the race, all right? like You're already going to have a better film. Your movie could be dog shit, and it's going to be better just because you have those three (laughs) actors involved. I nearly
0: just outed a film that I thought is dog shit,
1: but I'm glad I didn't. (laughs) But it it
0: didn't have any A-list players in it.
1: (laughs) So um, best performance, Patrick, what do you got?
0: So I thought it was going to be a lock. And by the way, all the performances in this movie are great. So truth be told, could have picked anybody. But one stood out on that second viewing where you see the world a little bit differently. I picked Alex Wolf as Peter. He's the son of Annie and Steve and the brother of Charlie. Um, it, it, I noticed it in the, in the first movie as well, but it really hit home this time how well Alex Wolf played a teenager. Not, and I'm not talking like uh, the typical 80s slasher teenager where it's like a 25 year old playing a 17 or 16 year old. He's playing a 16 year old or what, how old he's. So he's 16 or 17. He's in high school. He can drive. So he's around that age. He's playing that. And especially after the tragedy happens where he accidentally beheads his sister, from that point on, Alex Wolf turns in a performance that I thought was just dynamite and like strange, but also very like indicative of like teenage awkwardness. Like he doesn't know how to handle the situation at times he regresses almost to a childlike state. He's like, he's like whimpering and calling for his mommy, you know, because he's, because he's truly damaged by the situation and he's not getting the proper help, which is probably the biggest umbrage i have with this entire movie is that his i I don't understand why his parents didn't like put him into intensive therapy immediately you know like i that that to me was their greatest sin was that they did not take peter and like get him real help with what which is what he needed it never happens never comes up he go he goes back to school seems like within a week he's he's back in school after killing his sister by accident his performance to me was like, it was like shaking me to my bones. I was like, damn, this is really, really good. And I, it took the second viewing to notice that. And I felt like I needed to put him in my best performance this time out because the obvious could have been Tony Collette, but Alex Wolfe really, really put on something that they, he could stand right next to her in the terms of great performances in this movie
1: okay so let me first say i agree with you he was really really good also want to give a shout out to millie shapiro who played charlie yep incredible performance just disturbing on every level and Uh, she's more
0: of a stage actor she's not actually known i think this is the only film she's ever done
1: yeah she did matilda on on broadway oh that's right yeah, yeah she did matilda so like she's a really accomplished like stage actor and this was yeah but incredible performance Tony Collette's the answer, but I am going to go in a different direction because we're going to talk about Tony Collette in a second. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Anne Dowd because yep. Anne Dowd is so good in everything she's in, and she is like, she she was great in the leftovers. She's great in the Handmaid's Tale if you watch that show. Um, she's great in every movie I've ever seen her in, and she's great in this. And she's just so like again, kind of like you, the second viewing, realizing her nefarious plans from the very beginning of basically being a uh, sleeper cell of for lack of a better word of like infiltrating and grooming Annie to open the door to payment and basically, you know, lure her family in is so sinister and mm-hmm. she's so well done. Like there's a, there's a, my favorite moment for man Dowd in this movie is when she convinces Annie to come back to her house and do the seance. And she's talking about her grandson, Louie and she's like, Louie, And, you know, and, and Annie gets freaked out and she's like, we need to stop. And in that, there's a real great moment where Ann Dow turns on her and says, what? Like angrily, like, you want to stop this? And then she goes back and she's just like, it's okay. It's okay. Louie, we're going away. We'll be back. But there's that moment where she, where she lets her real intentions be known where Annie's like, we need to stop. And she's like, what? Why? And I'm just like, oh, like she was scary in that moment because mm-hmm. she turned, she let her real feelings be known. And it yeah. was really well done. She's incredible in everything she's done. But I wanted to give her a shout because again, the real best performance, I think, for both of us and across the entire world is Tony Collette. She is yes. unreal. And let me just say one thing, Patrick. on um, this was talked about a lot in 2018 was Tony Collette getting nominated for an Oscar. I've said numerous times it irritates me that horror films don't get better consideration for Oscars and and big award. And again, we do see it occasionally get out. Got a lot of them, things like that. Rewatching this film a couple nights ago, I was pissed off.
0: (laughs) Now he's pissed
1: that she didn't get more. I mean, she got nominated a lot of like, you know, she got nominated in the Independent Spirit Awards and, you know, and Critics Choice, things like that. It pisses me off that she didn't get nominated for an Oscar. I'm not yeah. saying she should have won. I'm not saying any of that. But nominator, really? She was so incredible in this
0: film. She deserved the recognition. Now, there's a major flaw. I don't want to get too far off on a tangent about Oscars, but there's a major flaw in the in the Oscar process, and that is campaigning. Um, this is something that the fucking shithead pile of dog dung Harvey Weinstein started back in the early nineties, which was we should start campaigning for, for our, for our nominations. It turned it into a money thing. This is a smaller independent film made for maybe 10 or sub $10 million. Some I, I could be completely wrong about that. Cause I didn't million, do my it was research. A tw- 12
1: million, 12 million, 12 million, million, yeah, okay. 12 million dollars.
0: 12, 12 million bucks, still very low for, for the production that was put together and put together to perfection. So you don't have a budget. To turn around and start walking around Hollywood, buying up billboards, buying up magazine ads. That's how people get nominated for things. This this production did not have that money. A24 had no sort of bread to do that. To go, well, you know, let's let's do a campaign for Tony Collette really unfortunate because it is a performance for the ages. That's not an exaggeration. Let me... there's, a shirt, there's a shirt out there that says, give Tony Collette the Oscar, you cowards. <sighs> They're talking about hereditary. And, and those people may not even necessarily be horror people. They're just like, we know that what we saw here was an actor at their height, doing something that most actors dream of doing, like transcending the art form and, and putting together something that was truly like bone chillingly good.
1: Let me throw out a couple. Let me throw out a couple, uh, uh, Oscars here for you. First off, best director, which is kind of, you know, kind of crazy in this one. The best director, um, in 2018, there was one guy who got directed or who got, um, hold on, let me just make it for, let see, am I giving this right? Uh, no, okay. Uh, director was director, I don't have a problem with Alfonso Cuaron got it for Rome, Spike Lee. Uh Pavel, uh Pavakowski for Cold War, uh Yorgos yeah, Lan- Lantamos for favorite and Adam McKay for Vice. I have been an issue with Vice. That movie wasn't very good. Um Best Actress. Okay, so I'm okay. Ari Aster didn't necessarily get nominated. I, I'm okay with that. But even he though certainly though- could have. I mean, could've. compare that to Vice, right? Wow. No. It's better than Vice for sure. Be- Best actress. Olivia Coleman got it for the favorite. I, I didn't really care for she that movie, but but Olivia Coleman's a great actor. I'm not gonna knock her for that. And she was great in that movie. Yeah, uh, Alisa uh, Apparicio for Rome, or Roma. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, Roma. Yeah, uh, Glenn Close for the wife, Lady Gaga for A Star Is Born, and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Now, let me first say that. There's a couple of these films I really liked, and a couple of the films I I really didn't care about. I really liked *The Star Is Born*. I liked that movie yeah, a lot. Yeah, that was great. Um, and I love Lady Gaga. I thought she did an incredible performance. Um, and I love Lady Gaga in general. I just adore her. So yes, I'm a bit I'm a bit biased there. The one I have an issue with, and it's not her, it's the nomination. Is Glenn Close, and it's mm-hmm. because there are certain nominations we see where the oscars are just like oh glenn close is in a movie this year we got to give her a nomination uh you know anthony hopkins is in a movie this year got to give him a-. and it's not to say they're not great they are great they have. Uh, glenn, they're anthony veterans Hop- for a reason anthony hopkins is incredible you know what i mean but even anthony hopkins when he won the oscar a couple years ago was like chadwick boseman really you gave it to me over him uh he was good in that movie though, was, because Anthony
0: but, Hopkins is good and Glenn it's Close like is good.
1: There's certain, you know, it, it, there's just certain actors who get nominated because they're legacy actors who everyone just loves them. Like, I wonder sometimes, and I know this, I've read, you know, post voting uh, articles on the Hollywood Reporter and Variety where voters say, I didn't even watch the film. Oh, yeah. You they know? just went Glenn
0: Close. I'll yeah, check that and box.
1: That's what bugs me. Like, th- they mm-hmm. wouldn't watch Tony Collette because it's a horror film. But they'll get, and it's again, I'm using Glenn Close as an example and I'm sorry. I, I like Glenn Close. So let me be clear. She's about She's a that. big think,
0: fan of the show. Damon, you're really yeah, fucking us over. Right. I
1: now. know we talked last week. I was, you know, <laughs> she, she knows how much I love her, but I'm just saying like, it's like that, you know what I mean? It's like there's certain actors or, or directors or whatever who get nominated more for name than performance. And I'm not saying she wasn't good in that film. I'm just saying like that one, it, that was the one that stood out to me. I'm like, Really? That one, like that, was kind of a weird one. And again, like, because when you look at nominations across the board, the wife didn't get really nominated for anything else. Right. It wasn't nominated for best film. wasn't nominated for best actor. wasn't best nominated for best director. wasn't nominated for best supporting. Uh, none of those. Mm-hmm. It was just her. So yeah. to me, that's like screaming that you gave her a nomination because her name's Glenn Close.
0: It's a good movie. I've seen it. I saw all those movies. It was a good year actually. And and um, can you ever forgive me by the way? One of my all-time favorite movies. I fucking love that movie. So, I don't even necessarily even have a problem with those nominations. But I go, you had room for another one. And how did Tony Collette not get in there? That's the point. Is that it's just their performances like this come around, like like she might have just like you know, spent all her energy on that performance and been tapped out afterwards and been like, I don't know if I can even do a movie after this. Like I need a break because I I, I, I pulled from things that I should never have pulled from to get the performance that I got. And it shows on screen. It's there. I'm very proud of what I did. It's a shame that it doesn't have, you know, it, uh, like a, a place in the history books on that level. But at the end of the day, truth be told as the people feel, and that many people feel Tony Collette was the greatest performance that year, and it was in a horror movie, and that transcends horror fans, not just horror fans. Say it, everybody says it. That Tony Collette and *Hereditary* is as good as a performance can get. It should go in a history book of all the great performances in film ever. There needs to be a page for Tony Collette in Hereditary. It's case closed.
1: I feel like every 10 years or so, at the end of like a decade, we need to have a retroactive Academy Awards. And they don't necessarily take awards away from anybody, but they also <laughs> give like honorary, because like yeah. *Good Goodfellas won one Oscar for Joe Pesci for Best... That movie should have cleaned up. That should have won best film, best director, best act, everything. It should have cleaned up that year. And it got like one award. You know what I mean? Like heat from Michael Mann got nominated for nothing. I think it got like one for maybe cinematography or something. Yeah. Really? Like <laughs> Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And I mean, none of Damon, them like none. Damon pig got
0: no nominations at all.
1: Yeah, anywhere I mean, there's it's a an of, incredible
0: movie that got zero nominations there's a it's lot insanity.
1: of there's a lot of instances like that where you look back on the oscars and you're like really that one and that didn't even get nominated or that one and that didn't get nominated or that got nominated didn't win we yeah. should have a retroactive Oscars, like every ten years, where you just go back and like correct the mistakes of the past. And again, I'm not saying you take away awards necessarily, but you can give out like a couple of honorary. Like, here's your here's your Best Director uh, award, Martin Scorsese for Goodfellas, because the uh, retroactive
0: to, award. To, yeah. to
1: quote to quote uh, the great movie The Hangover, we, we fucked up. Uh, <laughs> that should be that should be the award. I'm just saying. So Tony Collette, here's an Oscar because you deserved it for that film. Uh, Let's talk about favorite character because there are a lot of characters in this. Well, there are there aren't a lot of characters in the movie. Actually, yeah. it's a very small movie. Uh, who is your favorite character in uh, in Hereditary? I mean, it should come as no surprise. My favorite character was Joan,
0: played by Ann Dowd, because you and I have the the biggest actor crush on Ann Dowd. Uh, I, I'm going to let you on on in some inside baseball, folks. Like we even created a character in a script that we worked on we named it after and out i mean that's how much we love and out so when she shows up in something she brings that level of gravitas uh, she i think she she's kind of beyond a character actor even though that's how you would classify her um i think she's she she brings that special something that only she can bring to characters and uh, like i said in the second viewing this time around she was the um personified villain that we that we could actually see and, 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 and watch them lay their plans out. That was andowd that was Joan really great character and really changed, changed in my mind this time around the second go around with hereditary.
1: Yeah, Joan was incredible. I gave Ann Dowd my best performance based upon Tony Collette being kind of like on a different level in that film. But uh, I would agree Joan's probably my favorite character, but I'm actually going to go for Charlie because there have been very few characters in horror that legitimately creep me out. Like after a movie's over, it stuck with me and Charlie creeped me out on a lot of levels. The clicking sound, the just... Almost detached way that that Millie Shapiro plays that character where you're not quite sure does she have emotion like does she feel anything and then again another thing that I didn't realize in the moment that I didn't that I found out afterwards and I know you figured it out because you're much smarter than I am (laughs) but I didn't figure it out until afterwards that she was never Charlie she was already payment she was born and payment had basically taken over her body from birth. So Payman was already in there. Like I didn't get that at the beginning. I definitely didn't get that in the film. Um, yeah, it,
0: it was. Um, it, it was because Annie had always hid uh, Peter from her mother. They literally like let didn't let them have contact because she was scared of what her mom could do. Um, without really knowing what her mom was up to, she just knew to hide her child from him, and they were kind of estranged. But when she had Charlie, she kind of relented. Like she tried to find a way to make peace and she immediately let Ellen into her life and let her into Charlie's life. And she says it in the, in in the movie, Ellen completely took over. Like she basically took Charlie from Annie and, and raised her and groomed her. And because she needed that fresh vehicle for, for payment to live in, but it was the wrong kind of vehicle. She needed a son. She needed a male to inhabit for payment to inhabit. But she went, well, this will do until we can get my plan in place. We'll put payment in this vehicle. And she chose Charlie and Charlie as a character is very haunting. It's a very, it's a very Millie Shapiro really did something with that character because you just think she's just an odd kid. No, she's a, she's a, she's a demon deity trapped in a kid's body. Like helping along the process, helping along. Like she's she's kind of in ha- half in both worlds. She's not always payment, but when 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 is needed, that little white energy wave wipes across her and she can flip into becoming payment again. It's wild,
1: and, and it, see, and it takes that,
0: the second viewing to really pick it up.
1: In that film, the first time. I, I didn't know that Payman was always there. I just thought she was being groomed to become the 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 vessel yeah. for payment. That's what I thought in the first viewing. And then when she died, they switched it over to Peter. That's the way I took it. I didn't know that Payman had already inhabited Charlie in the first viewing. Obviously, the yeah. second viewing, I picked up on it. And I read interviews and I got it. But anyways.
0: And um, in that second viewing, you realize that they're, they're actually they're pushing all of the events. There's the symbol on the actual... Uh, telephone pole you know it was a marked place the plan was always in place for him to swerve there's that dead carcass in the road is there on purpose for him to swerve for for him to behead her they need a beheading as part of the ritual that's shown throughout the movie all the little clues are there they become so much clearer in that second viewing. I was like, oh shit, it's all here.
1: Yeah. And again, but Charlie was just so unbelievably creepy. And now like maybe, maybe my, maybe my viewing, like, because like I viewed Charlie as a tragic figure the first time around because I'm like, oh my God, this is so sad. Like this little girl, you know, lost her life, you know, sticking her head out a window and gets beheaded by a teller. I couldn't think of a much more horrific way to die. Um, on second viewing, I'm kind of like, well, I don't feel nearly as bad knowing that like she was already inhabited by this demon and her life wasn't going to get any better. Uh, but now it also makes sense why she was so damn creepy and why she was cutting the heads off of birds and, mm-hmm. you know, making these little weird um, statues of, of talismans, you know, as as basically a sacrifice to payment. Didn't make sense first time around. Again, that's kind of my own stupidity. But second time around, I got it. And it's a lot. Of, it's a lot to take in, though. Yeah, to, and, to, to be fair to Damon, it's a lot uh, to take in. Yeah. Like I didn't catch the symbol on the telephone pole the first time. Second time totally picked up on. It. I was like, oh, OK. Um, but yeah, Charlie was great and very creepy. And again, there's certain characters that when a film is over, that's going to stick with me. Charlie's a character that's going to stick with me from now until doomsday.
0: (laughs) And there is that even that final moment with, with, um, Joan, Talking to payment as he inhabits the Body of peter and she even says we you know We we're basically says we're Sorry that we kept you in a girl's body <laughs> for so Long yeah now you got your now you got the body You need and no, like, you, like w- they really make sure to Dot all their eyes and cross all their t's
1: They do and when when uh annie reads The book that she finds that her mother's belongings, It's highlighted that payment wants a male body Like because when early in the Film uh when she's talking i think it, i think it's At the grief center when she's talking about her mother yeah. she said That charlie she always wanted charlie to be A boy like she actually says that at one moment like charlie charlie's name is charlie yeah so yeah that's that's the whole thing anyways let's talk about best line because there's a lot of great dialogue in this film very haunting dialogue very disturbing Mm -hmm. dialogue at that so patrick set up your best line from hereditary
0: uh well my best line actually comes in a i guess it's technically in a sleepwalking hallucination but it uh it has so much more emotional truth to it and this was sort of the Uh, the piece of the movie where the family drama and the horror sort of start to meld with each other. But I remember sitting in the theater with my brother. And when this line is delivered by Annie played by Tony Collette to, um, the very distressed out Peter, uh, we, we both, and not just us, but everybody in the theater, when these lines started coming out of these characters mouths, we were like, Oh shit. Like (laughs) that's, that's pretty intense thing for a mother and son to say to each other.
2: Is Charlie here. Why are you scared of me? What? I never wanted to be your mother. Why? I was scared. I didn't feel like a mother. But she pressured me. Then why did you have me? It wasn't my fault! I tried to stop it! How? I tried to have a miscarriage. How? However I could. I did everything they told me not to do, but it didn't work. I'm happy it didn't work. You tried to kill me. I love you. Why did you try to kill me? I did. I was trying to save you. Why did you try to kill me?
1: (laughs) That scene is so disturbing. It's it's fucked up.
0: Just listening to it. (laughs) It's it's a fucked up scene. And it, it was just one of those scenes. And now, of course, hearing her dialogue and what she's saying. She had this instinct that she was trying to stop what her mom was doing, you know, like uh, and, and there was a scene where she talked about waking up in the middle of the night with matches and her kids covered in, in, in paint thinner because she was going to burn them down. That sounds super fucked up the first time around you hear it. You realize the second time around she was trying to stop
1: her mom's plan, but she couldn't do it. Yeah, and this was all, one thing I, I read from Ari Aster is this was all inevitable. Like, you know, like we talked about earlier, yeah. this was all going to happen. Jimed. Like, there was no escaping this. So, yeah, it's it's uh, very dark. So, my favorite line comes just a little bit before that, actually, after Charlie's death, and they have the really uncomfortable family dinner together. Cool. And Steve, cool. makes, Steve makes dinner, and, and they're trying to sit down Poor and have a Steve. meal together, and then Annie just snaps and loses her shit. And this, this line, this, this, this delivery, this dialogue was so brilliant, but also uh, it reminded me of every family dinner I ever had as a child because <laughs> inevitably yes. my mom and dad ended up yelling at each other uh, or yelling at me somehow. So uh, this was my favorite line from hereditary for from that very, very uncomfortable family dinner.
2: Yeah, fine. Release me. Just say it. Just fucking say it. Don't you swear at me, you little shit. Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother. Do you understand? All I do is worry and slay and defend you, and all I get back is that fucking face on your face, so full of disdain and resentment and always so annoyed. Well, now your sister is dead, and I know you miss her, And I know it was an accident, and I know you're in pain, and I wish I could take that away for you. I wish I could shield you from the knowledge that you did what you did, but your sister is dead. She is gone forever. And what a waste. If it could have maybe brought us together or something. If you could have just said, I'm sorry, or faced up to what happened, maybe then we could do something with this. But you can't take responsibility for anything. So now I can't accept and I can't forgive because, because nobody admits anything they've done.
1: Every family dinner I ever had, Growing up, I remember, (laughs) I remember
0: sitting in the theater, going, "Jesus, reminds me of like, you know, every Thursday night at my house."
1: My, uh, my favorite line in that, in the favorite line, is when she says, "Just look at me with that fucking face on your face." (laughs) And it reminded me of that line from the movie chef with Jon Favreau, where he's flipping out on the food critic and he goes, you just shit on my shit. Like you're so angry. You can't quite put sentences together. So you're just cursing for the sake of you. You bit that fucking face on your face. These
0: two, these two interactions that we chose for our best line, they don't really have to do with the horror of the movie. No, not at all. They don't. They have everything to do with family drama. Which yeah. is which was always Ari, uh, Ari Aster's intent, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his original cut of the movie was, I think, closer to three and three and a half hours long. And he goes, "Yeah, he goes. There's just a whole. There's a whole lot of family drama that is not in this movie that we just took out to kind of keep the movie moving along. But you could see how well he can tap into it." Uh, I got to imagine he, it's so genuine. It's so the, the, the dialogue and the delivery and the, and the, and the style of it all. I imagine this is stuff that he lived through as well. And yeah. then I'm probably a lot of us do anyway. Most most families don't have great family dinners. For <laughs> at least at least where I come from. So uh, there, there's something so genuine about it and I thought to myself like yeah, these these family drama moments were were some of the hardest
1: to watch. Yeah, cuz it reminded me so much of my own childhood. But that's <laughs> yeah, a whole that's, other, that's a whole Likewise, other moment. That's a whole other That's a whole other podcast <laughs> yes. that we can do.
0: Damon and Patrick's fucked up family life growing up.
1: That's where we invite a psych- That's where we invite a psychologist as our third guest <laughs> that time, so <laughs> Who says you you two have no hope. It's yeah, no wonder that you're obsessed with horror. One, films. one of us ends up crying, the other one just leaves. So, <laughs> <laughs> damn, it's got that face on his face. You just shit on my shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about best gore. Uh, there is some gore in this movie. Like again, this this film really does encapsulate a lot of great horror elements. Like it's not yes. you know one thing or another. Uh, what was your favorite gore in uh, in Hereditary? Uh, my
0: favorite gore is probably everybody's most memorable moment in the movie. And that is, we talked earlier about, uh, you know, Peter sitting there, in his uh, laying there in his bed, hearing his mom discover uh, Charlie's headless body. And then over her screams, they cut to this bright sunny day on the road and poor Charlie's very mangled, severed head, laying on the road, covered in ants. And when you're sitting in that theater in the dark, and this is why theater going is, is the best way to watch a movie you're captive. You're a captive audience. You're not in your house. I can't, I can't be doing the dishes while I'm watching the scene or, or being on a zoom meeting. Like I had to be during today's thing. Um, you had to sit there and absorb that scene on a hundred foot screen of just a severed child's head covered in ants in hot sunlight. It's so disturbing and so disgusting as a, as a image I was like how do you not pick this? There's plenty to pick from by the way. This is it's, it's this movie's full of gore actually. But that one right there just I don't know, man. Call me call me uh, predictable, but that that just takes the cake.
1: They also leave the camera on the severed head for an uncomfortably mm-hmm. long amount of time. Like I always remember one of my favorite films, not just horror films, just films in general of all time is 7. And one of yeah. the really cool moments like you don't you don't fully understand what's happening is, of course, the famous like what's in the box and they never show you Gwyneth Paltrow's severed head. They just hint at it and the blood and you figure out what happened. And you're like, oh, my God. Right. Imagine if they just spent five minutes just like centered <laughs> in on Gwyneth Paltrow's severed head. Like, that's yeah. what this is. Like, you're like, oh, oh, my God. Like it's this child's head been decapitated and there's ants covering. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. And you've got to sit there in this dark theater with about 60 other
0: uh, weirdos. In the bright
1: sunlight, by the way, let's also, it's not in the dark. No shadow play. You see everything.
0: Yeah. And I'm told, or I read that the original beheading scene, they know it's all practical effects. And I guess the original beheading scene was far gorier, like how they shot it and they actually cut it back. So it's somewhere, somewhere on some reel somewhere is Charlie actually getting beheaded is far more graphic and disgusting than what we see in the movie. Never mind just having to stay on her, her severed head for like 30 seconds, which is an eternity when you're sitting in a a theater with a bunch of strangers to just have to stare at. For quite a long time. I mean, it's it's one of those images just stays with you.
1: There was a real story from like 2004 where a guy was driving home and his friend leaned out the car to vomit and he hit a telephone pole and his friend's head got decapitated. He didn't realize it drove home. You know went home and then it was like he fell asleep in the car and somebody saw and freaked out and then they discovered that his friend had been decapitated this like 2004 and Ari Aster was asked about this and denied it had anything to do with his scene but I am curious here's the sick twisted demented mind that you're working with here Patrick is there like a MythBusters episode where they determine how fast you have to be going to behead someone going out of a car? Am I wrong for wanting to know that knowledge? Not that I'm planning on decapitating out of the backseat of my car. I'm just curious. Like how fast do you actually have to be going with blunt force trauma to the head that you actually rip their head off? I'm serious. Like I'm curious, like how fast, like, cause there's gotta be like a scientific study of like how fast you just smashing their head or like, you know, killing them by just blunt force trauma is one thing. What does it take to actually decapitate a person? Email Mythbusters and see what they
0: say I mean they, you never know they could do it They get their little ballistic you know bust or whatever And just figure it out
1: They'll, there, they will can
0: recreate the whole Scene for you
1: like can they do like a fucked up Mythbusters and answer that question for <laughs> me I'm just am I wrong I want to know No well,
0: everybody wants to know yeah.
1: Everybody's asking
0: these hard questions that's uh, for sure Now I do, by the way all side note I did Read that Ari Aster actually admitted that Yes he did use oh he that. did admit
1: that okay yes, I, yeah okay yes. that's uh, how I read it Okay uh Um, My favorite gore, of course, that is the best gore, but I'll go in a different direction just to give another scene. And it's the one that's like, it doesn't really fit into the context of the movie. It just happens is when uh, Peter's stuck in the attic and Annie saws off her own head with the the fucking piano wire. And you're just like why and where and wh- huh in the moment like and obviously again beheading is part of the ceremony and when you get to the final ceremony you realize they cut off the mother's head they cut off annie's head they're all kneeling down to payment we all get it in that moment but at the time i'm like the fuck and it's mm-hmm. just so disturbing of her just like sawing oh, man, the, head the off piano
0: the, wire yeah man that was another one in the theater where i was like jesus fucking <laughs> christ dude really <laughs> like
1: it, like i was wondering like did they have a did they have a deleted scene where you find out that annie loves playing the piano and maybe like she's playing and like a piano wire breaks and that's how it ties but i have no idea why they just had her sawing off her own head but i was like damn uh so that one's like just it's so visceral in that moment and so yeah i don't like i don't know why it was a piano wire and i don't know why they just had her sawing off her own head but damn it was disturbing and i believe the evidence is there like um because because
0: uh Peter sees the aftermath or something. And if you look closely by the burned body, the, the piano is smashed. Like yeah. it was, it was normal before. And the piano is smashed now. So she went smashed and grabbed some piano wire. Cause she's going to need that to bed herself a little <laughs> while later. Really intense imagery, yeah, man. Just right. very intense stuff. And I remember too, it's like at first she's going kind of slow. It's like, And you can hear the blood like spurting and then spraying and landing like really good sound design with that. It kind of adds to the gore because you're not you're not seeing it super intensely close up, but you know what's happening. You know what she's doing. And it's just every little detail of that from the sound to the sights. To the smells, even you know it just—it's a very visceral, visceral moment.
1: Yeah, it's very, very, very visceral. Uh, let's talk about best scare because again, we've talked about this film, especially the first time around. This is actually a fairly scary movie. Yes. Um, what was your favorite scare in uh, in Hereditary? My favorite scare—I kind of had to drum up that moment from back in
0: 2018 when I went and saw it because, just like you said earlier, this movie's not as scary on the second watch. But I do remember—I loved all the scenes where somebody would be looking in the dark and thinking they could see something. And that was, it was, it, they were just great gags, like really, really well done stuff. And at one point, Peter looks into his darkness and he sees Charlie standing there. Freaky. It's a freaky moment. And she's standing there and you're like, what's going to happen? And then her head rolls off. It falls off her head, hits the, hits the ground and turns into a ball that rolls right up to Peter. Just fucking freaky. I mean, I I wouldn't call it a scare. It doesn't jump me. There are better jump scares in the movie than that. But at the time, I was like, oh, this is fucked up, man. I don't (laughs) want to see this shit no more. This shit is fucking me up. And that was the one that really got me.
1: Yeah, the one my favorite scare in Hereditary, and it's the one that didn't get me at all the second time, like did not scare me at all. But the first time was one of the rare moments when I was watching a film in the theater going, Oh man, here it comes. Uh, (laughs) was when Peter goes downstairs and finds his dad's charred body. And you look up in the corner and Mm -hmm. there's Annie just like creeping in her little white nightgown, whatever she's wearing, kind of whatever. And she's like creeping up there and you know, it's coming. And then she chases him and he runs and it's just, this like really intense scene where he runs up to the attic. That in the in the theater, I was like, "Oh shit, oh yeah. shit!" Because when you see her in that corner, standing above Peter, you're like, "Ooh, she's up there." <laughs> and yeah. then when she when she drops down and chases him, it's a really intense moment. And I remember in the theater, I was like, "Oh," my heart was jumped, like my heart jumped yeah. in that moment. Uh, didn't get me at all the second time. I knew it was coming, and I was actually kind of looking forward to it. But in that first viewing, man, it I I was shitting my pants in that moment.
0: Uh, it was actually on the like a couple of nights back before I was actually intending to watch it. And I just kind of left it on and it was at that scene. And that scene got me again. Cause I just kind of forgotten about it. I wasn't like totally paying super close attention to the movie. And when, when she's up in the, on the ceiling and then the, the next moment she's in the shadows and she just appears and starts chasing. And I was like, Oh shit. Great scare.
1: Yeah. Uh, our next category is one built specifically for this movie. And it fits very well into, uh, into one of my big complaints about, one particular studio, uh, weird <laughs> A24 shit. And as I said earlier, I have a bit of a love hate relationship for the studio because they make a lot of great entertainment. They, pre- mm-hmm. they executive produce Euphoria, which is a show I adore, The Witch, which is one of my favorite horror films Of the last decade. I love that film. They make a, I'm not going to sit here and name every A24 film I like because I like a lot of them. Uh, X and Pearl, you know, another great yeah. A24 movie. They make great movies. But they also make some really weird movies. And so this category is weird A24 shit. So what is weird A24 shit in this film for you, Patrick? My favorite weird A24
0: shit. And I did. I tailor made this category for Damon because he 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 always verbalizes his frustration towards the weirdness that A24 often insists on in their movies. Um, In this one, it was just there was just no contest. And I remember it. I don't I don't really remember this this moment from when I saw in the theater. But boy, it stick out like a sore thumb here. Annie is an artist. And part of her, or what her art is is these sort of miniatures that she makes, these little dioramas of all these different scenes in her life. Like they're really created to eerie perfection, uncanny perfection. Well, one of them is apparently a moment that happened in her life because that's what all these things are, um, is her sitting in bed with her newborn baby, Charlie. And uh, she's there with one breast exposed because she was going to breastfeed her baby. But standing next to her, is the unmistakable shape of her mother Ellen with her breast out Uh and Charlie cradled in her arms as she's about to breastfeed her as grandma's about to breastfeed in front of mom mom's baby total fucking weird A24 shit, Damon.
1: Yeah that, so I read an interview with Ari Aster where he talked about the whole, you know her job as a miniaturist I think is the actual job she's considered having Uh, and he said that it was all very, you know, uh, kind of like a uh, symbolism for you know the, everything you see in the in the in the dollhouses. It looks like the characters are kind of trapped in this moments of frozen in time. And it was a it was a symbol of the movie because these people are trapped in their lives. They can't escape. As I mentioned earlier, they're doomed. They're not getting out of this horrific prophecy yeah. or whatever you they're want to call it. They're in their own diorama. They're in their own diorama. They're not getting out. So I, I was like, again having it explained to me i was like oh that's kind of a cool like i get it now i i didn't totally get i'm not gonna lie i didn't totally get that the first time i saw it but that particular one and then she also makes one with the beheading which i was like the fuck are you doing woman like you are <laughs> you disturbing. are but yeah that one is, like i i'm with you i didn't really i didn't really i won't say i didn't notice it but it didn't really catch me in the first viewing. but the second viewing i was like the hell uh <laughs> very weird um so I could go on a lot of different tangents for weird A24 shit, because there is a lot of weird A24 shit in this movie. Although, to be fair, this is not the weirdest of A24 movies. But the one that got, okay, our, okay, here's, here's where you get your moment, Patrick. You've been waiting for it. You've been waiting for me to mention Midsummer. I know you've been waiting oh, for I me to mention it. I can't believe it
0: took this long. <laughs> yeah,
1: Midsummer Ari Aster's second film, which might be one of my least favorite films in the history of film. Um, He has a weird thing for cults and ceremony, at least in the two films he's directed thus far. He has a new one coming out with uh, Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix, Phoenix. which looks utterly bizarre as well, at least based on the posters and everything. Um, He has a weird thing for cults and a weird thing for uh, ceremony. And the weirdness in this film was... When Peter's in the attic and he finds, you know, all the weird things and then out of the shadow steps, just a bunch of nude old people. And then the ceremony Thank is you. just nude old people. Now, I understand if you if you look into weird ceremonies and rituals and there are there are a lot of sexual rituals and there are a lot of weird rituals where there are nudity. There is nudity involved. And again, I'm not against. I am an equal opportunity uh nudist, if you will, Patrick. Yeah. I don't need every film that has nudity just to be women being nude. I am all for dudes swinging meat. Okay. If you want to show a dude <laughs> swinging meat, go for it. I got no problem with that. All ages, all body types. We keep it positive. Got right no here. problem with that. Yeah. And I don't, like I said, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you don't have to just show me a particular body type. And it, I don't know. I'm equal opportunist when it comes to nudity. If you're going to show nudity, Everyone should be equal in that sense. So I'm not even saying like I don't want to see old man penis. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying the shocking visualization out of the corner of the room that you don't see them at the beginning, and then suddenly there's just nude people standing there, and then the whole ceremony is a bunch of nude people. No one needs like. Do you remember that there's that, there's that episode of uh, Seinfeld? where jerry's girlfriend walks around the apartment naked <laughs> she has been nude everywhere and it messes him up because he can't stop picturing her naked and then george suggests like show her bad naked yeah and 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 then he sees her like do a full body flex opening a can of a jar of pickles and like he can't get that because it's just a really not flattering vision of nudity that's this film like all these old people standing there with like just nude bodies smiling, and then it, they're smiling. all and then they're all bent over, like in in like the downward dog position in yoga. Yes. No one needs to see that, Patrick. <laughs> no one. That's not a that's not a that's not a body shaming thing. That's like no, I don't no, want to no. see anybody just in that. It was just a really off putting moment with hair, and I just know, I just know, weird a twenty four shit. That was the one. I'm so glad you picked that
0: because it is a staple of a twenty four. To, to see weird nudity, it is. It is a thing. Like it's in men. It's in. um Oh shit! Well, it's I'm drawing a blank now. It's in the witch. It's in the witch. Another it's cu- it, it,
1: another cult. Another ceremony
0: ritual. Yeah, it's it's in a lot of their movies. That like just a weird naked person standing somewhere. Yeah. Like <laughs> it, it's just a thing. So I'm so glad you pointed it out because it's and it's all over this movie. I mean, there's. I, I love that one shot where like it's like. It's, it's daylight or kind of dusk at the, at the exterior of the house, like a big, wide, extreme-wide establisher. And then it just, it just in the same frame, cuts to nighttime. And then everything's dark, but you can see spattered around the outside of the house. It's about 15 to 20 naked people just kind of standing ready to descend on the house. Yeah. There's something about A24 films where if you don't have a naked person standing somewhere... Oh, uh, uh, Lamb is another one. They do Lamb, too just a naked person standing in the distance. I don't know if you have an A24 film. You got to have that.
1: Is there like a could we get like a expert on cults or something on here to to like tell us that like we you have that. to be you have to be nude in every ritual? Like I'm not again, I'm not against nudity. I'm not. It's not like that. I just it's really off-putting that every weird ritual like everyone has to be naked. Like this isn't a sex cult. It's just a weird demon worshiping cult and they all want to be naked. It's just it was just very odd and it's not even the scene in the tree house is bad enough as it is but it's the scene in the attic when these just random like three nude people just like step out of the shadows and I'm like what are you doing back here like what what, were you just hanging out naked like the whole time this poor like 15 16 year old kid is hanging out here you're just hanging out there with your junk out like what's going on
0: here. Did you drive here nude (laughs) like Like, how did you get like like there's no clothes anywhere. There's not like a like a pile of clothes maybe there is maybe it's another detail yet yeah. another detail i missed in this movie there's no pile of clothes somewhere it seems like you want to like, know oh.
1: you, you want another you want to know another bad naked climbing up climbing up a ladder bad naked all right <laughs> it's No, not, one, it's not a good
0: look it's the climbing not a good up look the did they climb up the ladder you.
1: naked is that how it happened like i don't want to think about <laughs> they, that they got up that
0: and like it's multiple people climbing up the ladder so there's someone below the person that's climbing up going all right, keep going, Bill. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Bill looks like a billy goat from this like, from this angle.
1: Here's my question. If you're in a cult and you're worshiping payment, like do you have regular conversations that don't involve the demon worship? Like when you're going up the stairs no, and, and, and Bill's payment, and man. Bill and Bill's in front of you, do you shout out and be like, "Bill, you really need to trim your taint, man." Like it's right <laughs> in my face, dude. <laughs> Have you considered butthole waxing? You know? <laughs> have you thought about? Have you thought about? Have you thought about coloring your butthole bill? Because it's right in my your, jam here. Your butthole hair is closer to me than your actual ass. Like just I'm just so saying. Know. Like, but do you have normal conversations in that cult? Like, do you hang out and just be like, "Man, I had this kick-ass steak the other night, and it was really good." Are we sacrificing that kid tonight? Oh, we got to be naked. It- Shit, I forgot. All right, well, let me get oh, my clothes yeah. off here. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I just can <laughs> naked yeah. weird nudity. Midsummer again. Are Yeah, like, got it. Yeah, oh, it doesn't Oh my god, don't even start on Midsummer. Uh yeah, we yeah, should I review re- that. We should.
0: Do you really maybe, want you'll to feel, get-
1: maybe you'll feel different about it. It could happen.
0: That I'll like it less somehow? Is that oh, what I don't know. <laughs> I mean, listen, I didn't think I was going to like Hereditary in a completely different way and now I do.
1: Yeah, well, it would take a it would take a whole lot and probably some like acid or something to get me to come around on on uh, on Midsummer. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I, we have to do it
0: yeah. at some point. I'm not going to put you through it right now. But we're going to have to do midsummer.
1: We, we have a very diverse listening audience out there, and I'm not asking you to identify yourselves or anything, but if you are a member of a cult or you know someone in a cult, can you ask, can you answer that question? Or is nudity required? I'm nudity just curious. When you do your rituals, do you have to be naked? Because it just seems odd to me. Um, <laughs> you know, don't you get cold, like, ever? Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, there's like, always you know, a fire. Yeah. It's an
0: 824 movie. Somebody's going to be set to fire at some just point. Just
1: it. yeah. All right. Oh, yeah, we're going to stand by G- Gabriel Burns Corpse and warm up our nude flesh Yeah, yeah, it. He's still smoking pal yeah. just get
0: just Kind of go back your taint up to Gabriel <laughs> Burns charred corpse
1: There yeah, we go A <laughs> uh, couple new categories let's talk about Best family horror when we mean family Horror we're not talking about family friendly horror This ain't a Casper <laughs> discussion folks uh, Let's talk about our favorite horror Film involving family uh, This of course is a great example of that Where a family just completely falls to Shambles uh, what is your favorite family horror or a couple you can name a couple if you want um i was gonna name
0: a couple and i might name a couple i'll, I'll name one right now and i'll see what you name because i have a feeling we have a lot of the same ideas but i got a few uh but the one that i decided to choose was the babadook first of all great movie I, is it an 824 movie i don't know i, don't I can't remember. remember i don't think it is i
1: can't remember
0: but but i will say this the babadook is an incredibly good movie well done and a reason i picked it is very specific reason it's about a single mom with a very troubled child. And I wanted to give props to the single moms out there because they exist, lots of them, and they're out there doing it. And I didn't, and, I, and, I, and there were so many obvious moments where you had the great nuclear family or whatever it's called. There's so many great examples of that in horror. There's not a ton of single mom horror that stand out. There's a few, but The Babadook is a really, really good movie. It's about a single mom. It's about a mom trying to trying to get through that situation with her kid and come to come to a resolution. So, and, and I just think it's a fantastic film anyway. So I got to give this one to the Babadook.
1: The Babadook is a really, really good one. I really enjoyed the Babadook. Um, it's a great film and I would agree. Um, that's up there. Um, I had a couple of suggestions and I'm going to throw two in particular. I'm going to throw out there because these are more my style of films and not necessarily the weird. Now, to give credit where credit's due, a weird A twenty four style film horror film that is a family film that I really enjoyed that I know you actually didn't really like. We haven't reviewed it on this show, uh, but a film called Relic. I really enjoyed a film called oh, Relic. Yeah. Very very dark film about uh, a mother that goes dis- goes disappeared, and her mother, her her daughter, and granddaughter come to her house, then she just suddenly reappears. And when you figure out, now that's a film I figured out the first time viewing. Probably if I didn't figure it out, I'd probably have a different feel, feeling about that film, but that's one I like, but that's a weird one. The two films I'll mention, family films that I really did enjoy, which were much more straightforward, disturbing in moments, but also uh, a little comical at moments as well. Uh, a film called Your Next, uh, okay. which I really enjoyed, which features uh, one of my all-time favorite scream queens, of course, the great Barbara Crampton. Uh, I love that movie. Very dark, uh, great final girl, uh, just utterly, like, total fl- total family dynamic that just reminds me of my own family. Uh, and that should scare people because, trust me, it is scary. And the other one that I really enjoy is Ready or Not, which is a film, again, I know you're not yeah, a big fan of. Um, it's the radio silence crew, the same people that make the new Screen movies, the one with, um, Samar weaving. I love, but it's just a really, it's a great horror comedy. The final scene with the family, when they're trying to conduct this ritual, they're not nude by the way, in this film, let me go and throw this out See, there. That's when they're just, the do- they made. yeah, uh, they should uh, yeah, have, they been, should have been naked. Um, it's hilarious. And, and there are some, there's some great gore in that film. And it's really just a, it's a very simple yet effective Four films. So those are two in particular. You're next and and uh and ready or not were two that I really enjoyed. All right, fair enough.
0: some of my honorable mentions you did not mention. Um poltergeist, the original poltergeist great story. horror family film, and um Alexandra Ajaz The Hills Have Eyes, specifically. Okay. Um, for for its family dynamic, I thought was really good. It's got a disturbing breastfeeding scene in it, now that I think about it. Um Yeah. Those are, those are two where uh, the kind of the idea of uh, family in peril, um, were pretty well done. I mean,
1: Poltergeist is a classic, but uh, the Hills Have Eyes
0: remake is not given as much love. And I
1: actually thought it was a really good movie. The Last House on the Left remake is actually also really enjoyable. I actually like that film a lot. I'll
0: have to wow. see that because I have, I have a, a love hate relationship with the original in that mm. I love to hate it because yeah. it's very disturbing and very hard to watch, like not an enjoyable watch. So I will have to, uh, I will have to re- check, check out the remake.
1: Another one. I, would, I don't want to just name every good family horror film, but another one I'll throw out is funny games uh, that's another one that's just yeah. unbelievably disturbing and also it's it's a smaller one because it's just a mother kind of like Babadook but I would say the the ring not ringu I know a lot of hardcore horror fans like the original Japanese film I'm not knocking it but as far as remakes go I think the ring may be one of the best ever in terms of remaking a Japanese horror film and it's actually good. doing a good job Naomi Watts is incredible in that movie Brian Cox is in that movie really really well done movie and I really like the ring that's, that's a good like really well done horror film um, so that's another one I enjoy. So yeah, there's a lot of, I didn't, I kind of, another one, I I'm, again, I'm naming every movie. Uh, the Shining is another great example. The Shining is an incredible yep. family horror film. That was our first ever film we reviewed here on Rewind of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still works. Every time The Shining is on, I got to watch and I can pick, always pick out my favorite moments with Jack Nicholson in that movie. Um, great horror film and, and isolated horror film. Very good film for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so moving on to our next category, and this is a new one. This is one of our new categories, folks, and we're going to introduce this one every week now, because this is a fun one. Can we survive this horror film? Patrick, you and I are horror aficionados. We know horror films. We know our strengths, but we also can admit our weaknesses. If we put ourselves into hereditary, could we survive? And I feel like I know the answer, but I'll let you answer first. Could we survive this horror film? I would say that uh, we, as the
0: collective, definitely can. Because you and I, Damon, are um, out and proud atheists. <laughs> we don't believe in none of that shit. So if Joan comes up to me at the, in the parking lot of Ikea going like, oh, no, 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 you have to go to this thing with me, I'll be like, not doing it, Joan. <laughs> and then she's going to try and run me off the road and all that stuff. They would do their damnedest. Um, but, but honestly, in all, in all aspects, when I think about putting myself in the shoes of, uh, of Annie, I would not behave the way Annie behaved, right? I my, I don't have the mommy issues that she has. <laughs> I just don't. I don't have I'm not I'm not an attached person like that. So, I wouldn't have that problem. If I put myself in Peter's shoes, I'm very paranoid uh, around like, you know, kids and all that stuff, because I have kids and I, I raised my younger brother. If I knew my sister, my little sister was allergic to peanuts. I'm not just saying, go eat a cake. (laughs) I'm going to make sure that that the peanuts are, there's no peanuts in the cake or whatever, or I'm going to pay much closer attention to her. I wouldn't have been like Peter. I would have gotten out of this movie unscathed, um, definitely. And yet still, uh, um, uh, 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 Steve would have still be burnt to a crisp <laughs> for sure, but uh, I would be good.
1: So I'll On a practical level, I'll say yes, because going just to the base level of who we are, uh, I wouldn't buy into this. The first time someone says a seance to me, I'd laugh in their face. Um, You wouldn't get me with that. And even if I went to the seance, the cup started moving, I would just be like, all right, this is stupid. Like, I'm leaving. Gotta go. I'll be this way. Where's your Ouija board? You're going to convince me someone's saying yes or no. Um, (laughs) But let's just say hypothetically, you know, all this is real. Yeah, no, because as we've already said, you're already doomed. You're fucked from the beginning. Uh, So that's where I say, no, we wouldn't escape because based on what Ari Aster is saying about this film, there was no escape. One of us would have had a piano wire around our neck, sawing the (laughs) bastard off. That's all I'm saying. So in practical reality, you and I would get nowhere near this because neither one of us believe in it. But hypothetically, if it's real and this is actually happening in the movie, We're both screwed because there's no escape. If you're Uncle Patrick and I'm Cousin Damon, we're just two more nude sacrifices (laughs) at the end of the altar is all I'm saying. Like, we're not making out of this thing. The only way we have hope is if we are way in on the payment worship and we're one of the nude people (laughs) kneeling at the end. That's the only way you're surviving this. So. In theory, unless we're unless we're, you know, again, you know, Uncle Patrick and Cousin Damon, we're not making out of this this thing alive unless we are just like full on go payment. I'm team payment. I could also payment. do
0: that. I'm also <laughs> all in on like team payment. I could do that for sure. Like be like, oh, we need to like worship this like, you know, the uh, ancient uh, de- demonic deity. Yeah, I'm in. I'm good. Yeah. So I'd be on payments. Good side. Anyway. Now, here's a real question, Damon. Who goes up the ladder first? Um, <laughs> we're gonna have we're gonna have to battle that one out. That's truth good. be told,
1: that's a, that's like, a, that's, we're, a, that's We're both a,
0: outside the, the treehouse, and it's like, well, we're both nude, so we've already accepted <laughs> that portion. But one of us has got to go up first, and you're going right behind me. <laughs> We're, first we're off, have to draw to Rochambeau. How are First off,
1: you're not getting me nude because I wear a t-shirt in the shower, okay? I do not get <laughs> nude, all right? Let's just go ahead and let's just get. That'd be the end of my payment worship right there. But like, You got to get naked. I'm like, "All right, saw my head off and it happened." Uh, so that's first because when I go outside naked, people throw garbage at me. I just it's just not a good look. Uh two, um the moment I had to like walk up the stairs and see someone like Bills taint staring back at me, done. I, there's no worship <laughs> worth it. Payman, you're not worth it, buddy. I'm sorry. The moment I have to stare up at that, I'm done. Done.
0: I can't okay. imagine what I look like from that angle if you like, had to follow me up that ladder. I
1: would just be like, give me the piano wire. I'm good. Like, I'm i I'm, I'm out. But, like No, Damon,
0: you don't even need to sacrifice yourself, dude. We're good. No, yeah.
1: no. Son, I'm, <laughs> I'm sawing
0: my neck. You just got to come upstairs and we're good. And then Payman I mean, like, takes care I can't, of everything. I
2: can't unsee it.
1: I can't unsee it. <laughs>
0: listen i haven't trimmed in a few weeks okay like like just relax okay we'll I'm trim done. after the payment I'm ceremony
1: i'm out i'd be like payment see you buddy i'm good is there, are there any de-? i'd be like looking up in the book real quick like are there any demons that don't require you to be naked at what
0: point do i not have to get my scrotum <laughs> yeah.
1: where is the? where is the? where is the demon of clothing that's what i need to know like the one who, who the one where is the demon of layers i need the demon who requires layers like multiple layers of clothing do I have to sit bent over? Can I just stand in the back? I'm
0: just going to stand in the back.
1: Also, can I mention the the, the, absurd, uh, the absurd danger of nude people around fire? That just seems like a dramatically <laughs> bad idea as well. Like, ah, ooh, you're just, oh, shit. You're that just, is a candle back here. Watch out. There's a invite, candle in the corner. You're inviting someone to light something on fire that you do not want lit on fire. Turns out I'm waxed now. <laughs>
0: Yeah. wasn't before
1: <laughs> what happened to what happened to patrick he stood cl- too close to flame and he's done all right he's currently in intensive care for
0: butthole burns and another another payment mishap yeah at the, at the payment seance
1: is there again i need a I, if i'm gonna if you're gonna draw me into demon worship i need a demon who doesn't require nudity and wants layers of clothing if you can't provide me that Saw my head off. I'm done. Oh, well, Can't do what it. What
0: fun is that? Yeah. There's nothing like demon worship n- nude. That's kind of the way to go. I'm out. I'm out. I'm sorry. See, you lost I told you I could survive this thing.
1: I'm even cool with the nudity
0: part. Yeah, like, I I, I'm good. I know done. I get through. I know done. I get through. Reddit.
1: I'm out. I'm like, you know what? I got better things to do on my Saturday night. All right. I got things I could do that don't involve me stripping down naked in front of a bunch of strangers bent over a weird sigil. Sorry. I'm out. <laughs> Right. Damon, I, I had chili
0: before. Just don't follow me too close <laughs> up this ladder.
1: <laughs> this is that's like I said, give me the give me the piano wire. I'll take the out. I'm like, you know what? This is I'm good. Give me the piano wire. I'm out. We didn't need Damon beheaded. No, he he volunteered. <laughs> like, uh, does he know we already beheaded everyone? No, he saw something he couldn't unsee and he's just done. He's done. He couldn't take it. Uh yeah, that would be the, that would be the moment where I volunteer like we need to follow. I'm, I'm here. I'm yeah, I'm here, I'm good. Uh <laughs> Okay, Patrick, the most important category of all, is it scary? So, Hereditary, is it scary? It is. Now, the first time you watch
0: Hereditary, it's scary on a gold classic scary level. There's things that go bump in the night. There's things in the dark. There's evil. There's demons. There's beheading. There's nudity that's weird and awkward. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a scary movie the first time you watch it. The second time you watch it, no, it's not as scary, but it's disturbing as all get out both viewings no matter what this is a 100% yes this is a scary movie
1: so it's weird because I would imagine everyone listening to this episode has seen hereditary so they're gonna know that when I say this it's kind of a weird answer which is the first time you see it it's fucking terrifying Mm -hmm. this film scared me on every level the first time I saw it from you know, from Gabriel Byrne's character just suddenly getting caught on fire to the beheading to, you know, the, the, the final scene with payment to Charlie's beheading, the whole thing freaked me out. There was a lot of good scary moments. So 100%. Now, as I said earlier, second time, not nearly as scary, but I actually like the film better. You use two, you used a great word there, and, and d- it's disturbing, it's creepy. Mm -hmm. So it's still scary. It's just scary in a different way, you know, like even in the moments where, you know, Charlie's at school and you see Jones standing on the other side of the street. And like, there's Mm -hmm. all these weird little things that I didn't either catch or didn't remember. And I saw the second time and I was like, damn, that's creepy. Um, So yeah, it's scary. It's, it's, it's legitimately one of the scarier films I've seen in recent years. Like it works on every level. Um, And again, what I like about it is I like the film better on the second viewing, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't nearly as scary to me. I still like it, still scary in a different way, just not nearly as scary as the first time you see it. But I liked it better on this. It's a weird film like that. It is
0: a weird film like that. You
1: know, it's it's uh
0: yeah, it's 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 a singular type of movie. And I'm 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 pretty confident now as I was watching it. And and evaluating it for this show that if we had this show in 2018, at the best of 2018 for the end of the year, I th- I do think Hereditary would have been my top movie. I didn't I don't have the full list of everything, but this is a this is a singular movie. It stands alone. There are not a lot of movies like this. There really aren't. It just isn't. And um I think I think um yeah. Yeah, this is a scary movie. This is a good one too.
1: Yeah, I feel like at some point for fun, we should do like, we we now have a YouTube channel. So as we go towards the end of the show, if you haven't checked us out on YouTube yet, uh, go there. It's YouTube.com at Rewind of the Living Dead. We actually put up our Scream reaction trail. the trailer, the reaction to the Scream 6 trailer. Excuse me. It's up there on there it was a YouTube exclusive. We're going to put a lot of YouTube content up there. You know, what would be fun, Patrick. And I'm just spitballing ideas here on the show. Like you know, we, we started our show in 2020. We are now moving into our fourth year of doing this podcast and which we love it. Mm-hmm. What, you know be a fun podcast to do is pick different years and pick our five favorite horror films from that year that we didn't get to oh, do yeah. it and do That's it for great. YouTube. Pick a 20-minute podcast and do our favorite 2018 films. I think that would be a lot of fun.
0: I think it would be definitely just a little countdown of some of our favorite movies from that year. Yeah. that'd be something nice for the YouTube people. Yeah, Thank so you, you all go. who are out there subscribing to it because you know, it's still a fledgling page. We need your subscriptions. Please go out there to youtube.com forward slash at rewind to living dead. Um, and like, and subscribe to our channel and help us build that because we're going to be bringing content that we've never, that we haven't been able to bring to this show before to that YouTube page. So if you stuck around like this, that means you're hardcore. That means you listen to us. We thank you for sitting around for two hours while we talk about who's going to go up the ladder first, butt ass <laughs> naked with taints in their nose. Um, we appreciate you guys and help us out and uh, and help us grow that YouTube channel. As well. And
1: I can promise you, even though now you can see us on video, there will be no nude rituals on our YouTube. No channel No weird nudity. No no me standing in the distance naked. <laughs> yeah, I pro- I promise that. It's not uh, check out the youtube channel uh we're putting every new episode up there and we are slowly starting to upload our entire category now again the the old uh episodes will be audio only but we are doing video podcasts now for new episodes so you get the be- best of both worlds so if you you know You'll see both on there. Um, Also, of course, we're on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and, of course, you can always find us over on my website, nerdcoremovement.com. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode was predicated upon a suggestion from a Twitter follower. So thank Mm -hmm. you for the suggestion. If you do have suggestions, movies you'd like us to review, comments on the movies we have reviewed, if you really, really want to see Patrick do a nude ritual, maybe reach out to him in a DM. But you can reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, we have e- or or any social media channel. We have every social media channel available over on Facebook. Rewind of the Living Dead, Twitter. Rewind of uh, Rewind of Dead. Rewind of Living Dead on on uh, Instagram, and of course we said YouTube is at Rewind of the Living Dead. Find us on any of those social media platforms. Send us messages. Send us comments. We would love to hear from you. Uh, please do that. You can also send us an email at rotlivingdead at gmail That's rot living dead at gmail.com and you can also find us on our own personal uh social media channels i am at damon martin and you are at director patrick and everybody we appreciate you guys tuning in for this fun episode uh, obviously uh we're going to be back with more rewinding we got a lot of new films coming up soon infinity pools coming out knock at the cabin is coming out so stay tuned for all of those we appreciate everyone tuning in and we'll see you next week for another edition of rewind of the living dead thanks for tuning in see you then